Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'll make this very quick. And there's a link to everything I'm going to tell you about in the show notes in your podcast player for this episode. If you pre-order my new book, How Minds Change, which comes out on June 21st, 2022, you will get three things in addition to the book. Pre-order bonuses. One, you'll get access to a one-hour and 45-minute roundtable discussion with five experts from the book, moderated by me. Two, you'll get a detailed discussion guide with step-by-step instructions for better conversations with people who see things differently than you do. And three, a ticket to a live workshop in Q&A with me the day after the book comes out. And of course, if you've already pre-ordered, you already can get all these things at davidmcraney.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-M-C-R-A-N-E-Y.com. And if this was an infomercial, this is where I would say act now. Time is running out because on the day this episode releases, you have about a week to get those pre-order bonuses, which is amazing. Yes, the book comes out in about a week. Whoa. I just freaked myself out saying that out loud, even though I'm trying to tell you something very quickly. Uh, yes. So you can also just go to davidmcraney.com. You can also click the link in the show notes to get there and read the entire introduction and first chapter, whether or not you pre-order. So all this stuff, more information, pre-order bonuses, all that is at D-A-V-I-D-M-C-R-A-N-E-Y.com, davidmcraney.com which is me. And the book is How Minds Change. Welcome to the You Are not so smart podcast episode 235 hey hey oh man this so is, good to see you oh dude you don't understand how your books have changed my life, man, for the better. That is incredible to hear. Thank you. Uh, I got goosebumps, man. I'm like... <laughs> Me too. It's, it's, Joint goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, finally. That is the voice of Terry Crews, the actor, the athlete, the artist... President Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Camacho in Idiocracy, star of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, host of America's Got Talent, that Terry Crews, a man who embodies the opposite of toxic masculinity, which one of my peers in publishing said we could start calling probiotic masculinity. He has a new book out called Tough, which we'll talk about in just a second. But first, let me tell you how this happened. 
The way this meeting came about was that my editor for my new book, How Minds Change, also edited Terry Cruz's new book, Tough. Her name is Trish Daly. She's amazing. And she told me as she was listening to interviews of Terry doing promotion for his new book that he kept mentioning You're Not So Smart. He's a big fan of the book and also of the show, the whole thing. But he didn't know we shared an editor until she told him. And we both said we'd love to meet each other. And that led to us hanging out on Memorial Day and recording this very interview. And yes, if you're wondering, it blew my mind. Of course, it would blow your mind. Terry Crews is a big fan of your stuff. Um, so we talked about all sorts of stuff, but mainly for this episode, we're keeping it to the book. And the book that he has out is really interesting. I read the whole thing before the interview, and it's incredibly transparent. It's very detailed. It's a confessional about how angry and controlling and toxic he used to be, which is shocking, actually. It's about how he changed his mind. It's about how he changed himself, how he changed his life, which is something I'm very obsessed with, obviously. And today, though Terry Crews is known as a vocal public advocate for women's rights, and he's very active, he's an activist against sexism and sexual harassment, violence, abuse, and so on. I mean, he's shared many stories of his own abuse, both as a child and as an adult. He even spoke before Congress about this and was named along with other silence breakers, as a group, part of a collective Time Person of the Year in 2017 for helping catalyze the Me Too movement. But in the book, he details how he, as he puts it, escaped the building just before the bomb went off because he was on a dark path. He had put himself in a position where he was in danger of losing his career and his family, but he sought therapy and changed And now he's encouraging men like himself to work on themselves for themselves through modeling vulnerability and transparency and his eagerness to challenge all of his assumptions, to question harmful norms, to avoid the loop of punishment and reward and competition that he was within for many years and it took many years to undo because he had moved into the swampy quicksand of self that comes from narcissistic tendencies from pursuing fame and celebrity and status. As he puts it, this kind of introspection, which led to that sort of change, is tough and it requires help. It requires reaching out for help and really doing this work for yourself, not to gain any kind of reward, not to seek revenge against people who thought you couldn't do it, just to actually change for the sake of change. And that kind of introspection is tough, which is where the title comes from, not his image as a tough guy, which, as you will soon hear, he has worked very hard to shed. I really read the book and I didn't know how much I was going to commiserate with so much of the things in this book. I'm thinking about this stuff too. And every once in a while I have a chance. Uh, I, I entered therapy late in life. I had lots of things to go through. I was very controlling and I just was in that 
masculine frame of I don't have these feelings. Like these aren't actually things that I feel like. Man, I'm 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 a I'm a good dude, and it was shocking. And I love with your voice and with your uh, ability to reach so many people that you have focused on this and spent so many years working on it. I was just tantalized by how open you are in this book. Like you, you even have a a line in there that like my life's an open book and you're reading it. You really are. What was it like to, to say, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to tell you the things I've done. I'm going to tell you all the stuff that happened to me and what I felt. What was that like? Well, it was, it was really hard. Um, And what's wild is that I like to, to say, it's almost like jumping off a cliff, you know, you're bungee jumping, but you hit something. You know, and you think you you hit the ground, but no, you just hit the side of the cliff. You know, it, it just keeps <laughs> descending and pop, boop, boop. And uh, but what was what was really interesting is that it got easier the more I talked about it. Um, hmm. The more I would bring things up, like I, I can't tell you when I talked about my addiction to pornography. I mean, just saying it at first, I remember just even in the meetings, um, I was like, uh, I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't even put my mouth around the words pornography. You know what I mean? It was mm. like, it was such a deep, dark secret for me that I had kept from my wife, from everybody in my life, from everything. And, and I said it so much. And what was the thing was, I knew this was a problem. And I, and I knew that if I did not defeat the ability, or actually the, the hindrance to be open and transparent, if I didn't defeat that, I could never overcome it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did uh, to practice this stuff uh, in the early days of Facebook Live, and this was somewhere around, I believe, 2014, uh, I got a, a, like a really early version of Facebook Live. And I went on Facebook and said, I had an addiction to pornography. And, and, just, and it was mm-hmm. after the gym. And I remember sitting in my car and I turned it on and I said, do it now. Like, don't wait till you go home. Don't wait till it. It was like, this is something that if you, if you don't ever develop the courage to talk about this, it can't be defeated. But also when you're talking about the 12 steps at the end, the la- the 12th step is always help others. That's that. I mean, when you go all the way through and they find that if you do not, go to the 12th step, you probably are never going to defeat whatever addiction you have. Like mm-hmm. if it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's, you know, sex or whatever, if you don't get to that 12th step, you're probably going to go back and you're probably going to revert. Mm-hmm. And I said, man, I do not want to do that. Like I said, so I had, to, I knew that transparency is going to help people because the fantasy that everybody believes is that as a celebrity, that I have no issues. And let me tell you, it's really comfortable in there. Like, you know what I mean? Like as, as Terry Crews, people were like, they would just give me the benefit of the doubt for everything. Like, Hey man, you're working out. You do everything right. You're amazing. I I, listen, there was no end of people who would tell me how great I was. But I would always kind of look at my wife and watch her eyes just kind of roll up in her head. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, they don't really. Know. And I said, I got to kill this. I got to kill that thing that will allow me to get back into that image, back into that celebrity world that 
will keep me from being real. Like from, it keeps you from reality. Um, you have a group of psychophants and different people that'll be like, no, man, you are the best. You're amazing. Yeah. And I got rid of all those people. I mean, I cut off so many people. People still like wondering what happened, you know, to this day. They're like, yeah. you, know, you know, literally over 20, 15 years, what, 15 years later, people are like, what happened to him? He just, he iced me. <laughs> but I knew that I had to, I, I, because they were never going to tell me the truth. Yeah. And then when I got in this book, I was like, man, this is my chance. Because the first one, I did write a, uh, another book called Manhood, which was, you know, early in 2014. But then I was like, this is a chance to get into in depth. You know, like if, if I don't, because this might be my last chance. You know what I mean? And I went and I said, let me talk you through the mindset, where I was, when I did these certain things, what was happening, where it, everything I could, you know, legally, honestly remember. Mm-hmm. And I just said, and I just put it out there. Um, and believe you me, when I handed in the manuscript, <laughs> I always wanted to snatch it back. You know what I mean? You're like, ah! <laughs> uh, there are moments in the book where I'm like, you even, but you say it out loud yeah. in the text. You're like, hey, I'm about to say something, and here it comes. Oh. And, and it, I, I feel it though. Like, there, uh, there's like an old Mike Myers quote of all people where he said, the fame is something like this. It's like fame is the industrial runoff of the creative process. It's the toxic industrial runoff of the creative process. And you can, if you live in that, like the slime of the fame that gets in the river, like that is not nourishing like that. You go farther and farther away. I can imagine that you're where you're at in the world, how much pressure there must be to put on that coat of a persona and hide within it because uh, as you talk about in the book, there all this, there, there you have all sorts of reasons why you would do something like that. Yeah. We all do. And, and seeing yourself in other people's eyes and then believing how they see you and then just becoming that person, that is a really dangerous path. I love that the, you've done this and I want so many people to get a hold of this book because of what you're talking about with the Facebook live thing, modeling that vulnerability is as important as the things that you're telling us in the text, knowing that you will model vulnerability gives feels like it gives me permission to, to model vulnerability. And that's humongous. Thank you, Dave. Now, now I do want to say this too, you know, I would never recommend that people put out all their business out. Like I just did. <laughs> you, you know, now this is another thing that, and, and, and what I do recommend is that you find someone. Uh, a counselor, uh, some, some, or, 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 or someone who loves you, a good friend, or you know, or if you can do it, go, go ahead. But my issue was was that I'm in the public eye, and I'm already kind of an open book. You know, most of my performances are basically versions of myself. You know what I mean? Like uh, when I did White Chicks, you know, you, you just what you do is just tap into the Terry Crews that's like this, you know. <laughs> you know? Uh, and then you go on to another movie, and then you do. Uh, you, I played a Brooklyn Nine Nine, so you, I just tap into the Terry Crews that's like Terry Jeffords, you know. And but it, you even said it in your book, you know, you have multiple selves, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I learned, hey man, just go into all of them, but. With me, because I'm so public and because, you know, you have to understand too, Dave, you know, I've been in the public eye since I was probably 12 years old. And this is what I mean. Like mm-hmm. as, a, as a young black man growing up 
in Flint, Michigan, you know, the city was was really imploding. So we still had some white people there, you know, it was, and it was before white flight had totally happened. But as a 12 year old black kid, you get treated like a criminal, you know, like it, it's wild because I noticed the difference. Like I was not a kid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. At 12 yeah. years old, I was treated like a grown man. I mm -hmm. was they, I was looked at like, wow, hey man, you know, you're you, you don't be a criminal. I mean, I'd be at the mall and people are like, don't, don't you start stealing? Don't you? I'm like, hey man, I'm 12. Like, I'm playing with toys. I'm like, pew, pew. And I saw this, like, like everywhere I went, there was this view. Like everyone would look at me, you know, and it was like, oh, there he is. And so I always felt like I was being observed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, just always looked at it. First of all, even with my parents, even with the public, even in school, it was even my, my teacher who was like, hey, stay away from white women. You know what I mean? Like, that'll be the worst thing ever happened to you. You're like, you've been watching me this long? Wow. Like, and you feel like I've already been in a microscope. So now here I am in football and then here I am in entertainment and here I, I'm like, you know what? You're already looking. Let me tell you what the scoop is. <laughs> you know that's, what I mean? That is, that's something I never have thought about. Just the feeling that people who enter fame from the privileged place get yep. introduced to something that you had experience with already. That's something I'd never thought about before. You know, again, I, as I kept going on and kept going up, it was like at, as a football player in the NFL, you get looked at as here he is, this athlete or whatever. And, and, you, and you're walking around in circles where there are not, you know, there's not a lot of people who look like you. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. kind of like the neighborhood is white. The areas are more affluent. Uh, and so you get like, oh, hey, oh, wow. Everywhere you go, you're in the grocery store. It's like. You know, you're one of those football players, right? You know, you would get that. And to the point where, you know, it was funny. <laughs> it was really hilarious. I would get insulted. And I'm like, yeah, but I am a football player. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, you play football, right? I'm like, well, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and what was so wild is that even after when I got into entertainment, people would come up to me all the time and say, man, you, you look like this. Like, you should be doing, you should be acting because you got this look, you got this thing. And I didn't even want to be an actor, David. I didn't want to act huh. at all. I was doing security. I was trying to get behind the scenes. And a friend of mine invited me to an audition. And I asked my wife, I was like, should I try this? She's like, look, you know, we have nothing else. Go ahead. And it was the first thing I ever did. And I got it. Yeah. You were sweeping. Like, it's in the book. You were sweeping. And I love that story. But it was it's after all these other things from your life, you you tell this. A lot of books would start with that, and I I appreciate it. I got toward the end, and I was like, oh, oh, wow, here's the here's the or here's how he got into the acting world, and I love that it, it was by grace by people who were like they were like you should do this, and you tested the waters, and and uh, it unfolded for you, but. You were ready for it in a after all the things you'd gone through. Do you mind if I talk about the book for a second? I want to oh, talk please, about it. please. Let's talk. Um, I know people are going to think this book is about toxic masculinity, and that's a word that gets thrown around. And But you have, and it is in a way, but it, it's about something bigger than that. I want to just I just want to open some space up for you to address that first. Uh, yes. what, do you, what would you say this book is about, and what do you hope people take away from it? It's just sort of a broad thing before we get into the nitty-gritty of it. Well, I, you know, 
basically, you know, again, that term toxic masculinity has been drugged through the mud. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I like to use the term abuse of power. You know, that's really because that it's it's beyond it's like when you see things and people have power and they abuse what they have. And when you are you use your strength to dominate and not to support. You use all your 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 strength to 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 literally step on other people as opposed to being a servant and and to help them. I think the ultimate person is actually your greatest servant. You know what I mean? A person who really realizes he can help people and and uses the ability and all the all the lucky great things that's happened to to them for the benefit of others. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and not that you put yourself down and that you don't, you know, make it good for yourself. But at the same time, you usually have more than enough. You know what I mean? Um, especially if you are very in a very powerful place. But when I, but where I was and what I did, um, because I have this firm belief that competition is the opposite of creativity. Mm. And you had to understand, I, I was in the most competitive worlds you could possibly imagine being the NFL and entertainment and even growing up in Flint it was like with the gangs and the drugs and drug members and drug gangs and people trying to fight me and so the whole thing was even I built my body was the purpose was to to compete mm -hmm. you know what I mean and to really dominate and be better and this is the thing man I did it <laughs> David, right. I was successful. Like when you look at the term and when you look at, you know, if, if you could compete and win, Terry Crews did that. And yet I was miserable. Yeah. All throughout the book, you talk about, I'm not doing this for noble reasons. And then you slowly unfurl that and have to face it head on. And it, it's like from different spots in your life. I mean, eventually it reaches your family, like your, your wife and your children, but it comes in stages and you write it in those stages. But the, that was, that I, I put the book down for a second to think about it. Just the, cause I thought about things I've done in my own life. And I was like, did, was I doing that for the, for the goal that I had stated internally? Or was it really because I was trying to fight somebody, fight my dad? Was I really oh. trying to just validate was I trying to just simply be cool? Like, like was like, was I was I coming from a noble motivation? And when you when you actually admit to yourself you're not doing that, oh. it throws off everything. And, and you you talk about this at, at length in all sorts of places. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, my whole thing was I lived my life like it was a revenge movie, you know. <laughs> and when I. That's it. You know, yeah. and you got to understand, that's better than sex. I do, like, I understand that. Terry, I, I grew up in super rural South Mississippi. Uh, I, I like I said, I have a pretty narcissistic dad. I, a lot of what, I, what I've done is to, is I, there's a part in the book that I connected to really strongly, which is sort of this like, uh, oh yeah, like you don't believe in me or you're not going to do this. How about, how about I succeed so hard that you'll have that it, but basically everything I'm doing is going, fuck you. Look at me. And, yeah. and is that a good reason to do things? I think there's a diminishing returns from that. And I knew that's something you illustrate. You know, there's a book by Alfie Cohn that I read that blew me away. Uh, 
punishment by rewards. Punishment by rewards. I was oh taking a pen God. and writing it down. First of all, you know, and I, I listen, I read this book after I wrote my book, but I saw how I was doing everything for rewards, um, doing things to punish people, um, being successful to punish people, uh, doing, you know, it's funny because in my mind, everything was done for some sort of reward. It was like a, a Scooby snack. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, uh, I do this and my, now my wife gives me sex. And, mm -hmm. and and if you don't do that, I will resent you forever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I do this and now you give me my money and you give me my this. And, and everything became this, this reward system, a punishment system and a reward system. But Alfie Cone breaks this whole thing down that nothing should be done like that. And I was like, what? You don't want to have a transactional relationship with life itself, but we do, we do. It's so easy to fall into it. Oh, well, you know what's crazy? The best advice I ever got in my entire life is when my wife left and there I was, very successful, by the way. I, I'm, I mean, my career was rolling, man, money and fame and people loved me, but my wife was like, I'm out. My good friend, he told me, he said, hey, man, I can't promise you you're going to get your wife and family back, but you need to get better for you. Now, Dave, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Like, that did not compute. Like, getting better for me. Wait, no, I get better for them. I get better so that I can you know, finally get them off my back and finally get this or finally get that. You only do good things so you can get good results. What are you talking about for me? And you're talking about the way men think. It's literally they put themselves last in a lot of ways. And when he said get better, like you need to get better for you, which means it's not about a reward or you punish because you're not doing something right. It's about just being good for good sake. Like just improving to improve. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that was a foreign concept. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, but the world doesn't work like that. And, they, and he was just like, hey, man, what can I say? And now we take a break from our program for a word from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and I'm very proud to have BetterHelp as a sponsor. I was using BetterHelp before they became a sponsor, and I was very excited to learn that they wanted to sponsor this program. I have recommended BetterHelp to people. I know people right now who I've recently onboarded. I had a friend who had a really difficult medical event and was experiencing a completely new range of anxieties and feelings and concerns and I recommended therapy. I'd never gone to therapy before and this helped. Now a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time and the question is time for what? If our time was unlimited how would you use it? And the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what is that special thing? What is important to you? What is that thing that deserves to take that slot, that precious time? How do you make that a priority? 
Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you will get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do that several times and really lock in with a the therapist that is able to generate with you that dynamic that's so important. I believe you should be in therapy. I believe everyone should be in therapy for a period of time at least in their lives to sort this out. What's important to you? How do you make it work? And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S. So you want to make better decisions and you have a business. You have a business and you want to make better decisions in that business. You need some sort of key performance indicators, a system for measuring what you're up to, what you're doing, measurable values that demonstrate how effectively your company is achieving your key business objectives. That's a KPI. And I have a recommendation for you. It's called NetSuite. You should be using NetSuite. Here's, here's why. So your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Every business that's doing well, even if it's just starting to kind of do well, it'll start to form some fissures here and there. Things you used to do in a day will start taking a week, and you'll have all sorts of manual processes that just there's too many. You can't get to everything, and you don't have one source of truth to make sense of it all, to make those better decisions. If that's you, you should know about three numbers. These are three numbers you should know. 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. That's a big number. 37,000. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system. Streaming accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. 25? 25 years? 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. You don't want some sort of operation or app that's just made for whoever comes along. No, you get a customized solution for creating those KPIs that you need. One efficient system with one source of truth made for one business, your business. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. When you have everything you need in one place, all these biases, all these fallacies that I talk about on this program, it's an incredible way to apply everything you learn about making better decisions by having one source from which to pull your evidence, your information. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance for nothing, absolutely free. You just go to netsuite.com slash not so smart. You get it for free. That's netsuite, 
dot com slash not so smart to get your own KPI checklist. One more time, netsuite.com slash not so smart. And now we return to our program. How can you show, you can't show up for other people? Do you show up for yourself? But that's hard to, I, I am not from a culture that thinks that way either. Like, like it's, it's all like the idea that you're, I provided this, therefore you should be grateful. I did this. You should be grateful. I'm doing what is expected of me. The world should give me what, what I, what's coming to me. Yep. And, and, and if it doesn't, now I'm resentful. I'm the one that's resentful. And then you start to spiral deeper and deeper into that. And that's where you meet a lot of men at some point around their mid forties, early fifties, where they feel they were sold, uh, you know, a, a bill of goods and they, they, they don't know what to do with themselves. Like they, they're like, why didn't I get the rewards? This also happens with young people too. I, I've, yeah. I've noticed a lot of um, the radicalization of uh, people who fall into to like incel communities or, the, or they get radicalized into extremist groups. They're, they often are like, hey, I was doing what you told me to do and I wasn't getting what you said I would get. And they're, and they're, they're in that lie of transactional like existence and they get mad about it. And what are they mad about? Who are they mad at? And they never direct it inward. They direct it out there these people are the people that are bad whether it's women or the government or whatever it is that they're they're raging against the rage has some has to go somewhere but it's not going in here it's a i had that i had major major rage and this is one thing your book really really highlights man is that we're all disillusioned to some point Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like we're We're stumbling and fumbling in the dark yeah (laughs) we are yes (laughs) And but this is another thing I got from that punishment reward system. Uh, it was it's it's all about controlling people. This was the See, biggest part of the book. The this I have a no, I, I have notes right here because I was I figured we would get here. Uh, I don't know what to say. The you talk at length about this about control, yeah. uh, and I know we haven't talked about you know, fight, fighting your literally fighting your dad, but the this. Think about the control, this is your words, the controlled eventually becomes the controller. And in your marriage thinking, I'm a, look at this life that I'm providing. I'm a, look how good your life would be compared to if you hadn't met me. All these things that make you feel like you're a good example of being a man or anything that you put in the category, father, husband, all that stuff. Yeah. compared to other people, I can compare you, I can show you some other people what their lives are like, but all of that is really, ele- these are aspects, these are shades of control. Talk about this in some way. I, I found this to be so illuminating and uncomfortable that I, and I felt like, yes, I've read this book so far. I need to walk toward that uncomfortable feeling. Oh it, man, it never gets comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is what I, this is why I call the book tough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's 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 to do that kind of of examination is whoa, and it's like, man, it makes your stomach curdle up. You just kind of there's butterflies. There's oh man, I, you know, and but it does get easier. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I'm telling you, as as I kept going, as I keep going, it gets easier and easier. But the thing that hit me was there's the um, and again it, it goes back to the twelve steps. You know mm-hmm. when I look at the the serenity prayer and it was literally like god help me 
to accept the things I cannot change, uh, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Controlling people is an attempt to change them. But if you don't know that, I had it backwards. I was like, the courage to change people. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and embroidered embroidered yeah. and framed on my wall. I have yeah. the courage to change pe people. <laughs> that was the, I mean, listen, think about how many things I, I, I go back into my life, man, and how many tantrums I threw. How many uh, I remember my wife was like, Terry, maybe we shouldn't buy this car. And I was like, you don't want me to be happy. Wow. You know, mm. and she was the wisdom that she was giving me. And I just totally threw it back in her face and turned it around as, a, as an attack. And then I, I had to go deep into how I felt as a man. Now, this is another thing that the difference is the difference between the misogyny that I grew up around. Um, I believed that I was more valuable than the women in my life simply because I was a man. And everything in my life told me that. You know what I mean? The sports culture, black culture, uh, entertainment culture, just hip hop culture, everything that I was around and in, they were like, you are the man, you run this. And so what was happening, I wouldn't even hear wise words from the woman I loved simply because I was like, you're a woman, you're up. And it set me up for the most ridiculous, re just the dumbest decisions you could probably fathom that any human being would do. And it's, it's, it's so wild because I was trying to control everyone, everything. And wait, as a man, you are expected to control people. Control your business, which means control all your employees. Control the people that are around you. Control your kids. You got to understand, growing up, my father owned us. He didn't have us. He didn't appreciate us. He owned us. And that was the, the and it was never anything else. Like, it was like, you guys, we would work all day. I'll never forget. We, work, we would work all day doing lawns, raking putting raking leaves doing all this stuff man we'd be working for 12 hours they get lady would give us the money he say we come home you know like, how much you make and we'd be like oh man i got 50 dollars. he's like give it up <laughs> i said there was never a time he didn't take all our money wow and i realized he owns us like we were slaves we were yeah. like he was like if you want a place to live then give me all this money and it was like oh okay again punishment and reward it was this thing where I realized a long time ago that, wait, my dad was controlling us. You know what I mean? And look, and this is another thing when you're talking about these young men out there that are doing crazy things like we just witnessed mm -hmm. in Texas and mm -hmm. in, in Buffalo, New York. You know, this is the revenge that I'm talking about. Because remember, I, I said this before, but I realized that you could either have success or revenge, but you can't have both. Success really means walking away and moving and forgetting what you've lost. There's a great quote that I heard that blows me away and I always use this. It says, intelligent decision-making sometimes requires us to forget what we've lost and reevaluate the situation as it exists today. That is truly success. 
But if you never forget what you've lost, if you're always at the crap table trying to get your money back, you will continue to lose. And wait, you invest more money in losing. But most of the time, it's about really about showing the people who ever doubted you, whoever counted you out, whoever degraded you at any time, now it's my time for revenge. It's mm -hmm. my time to get back. And that was my mentality, David. Yeah. And I was, and let me tell you, it always made me go back to the mud. There were times when I could have escaped, but I would go back to the mud simply to show people that I was the man. Yeah. In an attempt to control them and a contempt to control my surroundings, control, control what I could not control. Mm -hmm. And it's futile. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. You know, the, the phrase I like to use is like believing that, you know, you, you totally believe that the sun goes around the earth. And then the next day finding out that, no, we go around the sun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And wait, but you have all the evidence in the world that the sun goes around us. Mm -hmm. It, it, look, it comes just look up. At it. Just look. Take a look. Look, it's there. Like all the things. But dude, imagine if we still believe that. In the in the new in the new book, I tell all about um, the story about the goose trees, which is uh, for hundreds of years we believe learned monks would tell people in these giant books that geese grow on trees, and, and the and the reason for that was because they didn't know what they didn't know. But that's not that's just half of it. It's not just they didn't know what they didn't know. They were really sure they did know this other thing based off of what they were seeing and every, everything. With the what, what it was, there would be this barnacle on a little log, and it kind of sort of looks like a goose, kind of. And the thing that they couldn't figure out was that for certain, they couldn't figure out where are these geese coming from. They couldn't find the eggs or the nests or anything. But they didn't know that they didn't know about migration because this was an unknown concept in that region of the world. And so they were like, well, hmm, I, this kind of looks like a goose. I bet what, you, what happened was there's a tree and it's, it comes out on the branch and then it falls in the water. And that's one that fell in the water. It didn't become a goose. And, and yeah, geese grow on trees. And they, they like had all these drawings of it and these etchings and these wood carvings. And they had all these rules about what you could and couldn't eat thanks to knowing that it was a plant really and all this stuff. It wasn't until someone at some point discovered the nesting sites and, and they were like, oh, they nest over here. That means that migrate... And once they knew migration existed, it wiped away all those assumptions and you had to rewrite what you knew about the world, just like with the, you know, the geocentric model of the earth and all that stuff. Right. I love that story. And I talk about it in the new, in the new book, because I want to illustrate this thing you're talking about, this, um, this undeserved confidence in your assumptions that have never truly been tested. And, and this is in this, and it's all in your book too. These, a whole life of assumptions that, uh, the world will let you get away with the, the world will let you destroy yourself. The world will totally just sit back and watch. You talked about in, in, in the NFL, they will gladly let you destroy yourself so that they can take exactly. your place in acting in Hollywood. They will gladly let you destroy yourself. And it is on you to escape these assumptions and, and find out what's going on. And this, am I on the right path here? I don't want to speak. David, for you. you are, you are spot on, you know, when my wife left, Hollywood didn't care. <laughs> Wait, first of all, they were like, hey, great. Now we can give you three movies instead of one because you don't have to go home. You know, it, it, this is these things are actually are rewarded, um, which is, you know, where they feel like, you know, it was almost expected. Like this is 
this is the, the mindset I had was a little bit like, well, this is my first Hollywood divorce. You know what I mean? And it was kind of like, who, who doesn't like, who doesn't get divorced in Hollywood? So I guess this is par for the court. I had already had made an excuse and kind of framed it as, well, this is what's going to happen. But once I understood that, wait a minute, it is me. And I need to get better for me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't getting better so that I could get another role or get my family back or get all. Once I started to go to therapy, now you got to understand too, even I wrote about it in the book. I mean, the thing is, you know, growing up in this really super religious uh, background, you know, therapy was looked at as quackery. That it's, you know? I, I live not far outside of New Orleans. It's, there's still a stigma around it. Oh, yeah. It's a stigma to do it in this region. It's a stigma for men to do it in this region even more. It yeah. is looked at as like, well, you're shameful, weak, and uh, there must be, are you, so you're bonkers now? Like, like that's, it, there, that is still a stigma in 2022. It, you know, that was the phrase. They would say, you can't cure crazy. That's what they would say. And I got to tell you, man, you know, you, you mentioned it in the book, is thinking about your thinking. Yeah. Is it's all of a sudden it's like a wormhole that you know what it's like it's like cleaning up i think like cleaning up a closet in your house but by doing that you notice how dirty the rest of your house is <laughs> <laughs> that's good i like that a lot you know it's a little like i'm gonna get this closet spit you know finally it's straight and it's clean and there's no rats in it and there's no dirt you know? and then you turn around there's rats all over the that's house right. though. Yeah. You're like, wait, a, what? That's good. And now, and this is why even when I wrote the book, it, it dealt with so many different subjects because there was an intersectionality of all of these things. Mm -hmm. Like one thing bounced into another that bounced into another. Like I started, it was like a domino effect. Um, as one thing came down, another thing had to go down with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but. And there were times I was trying to save it, like, no, but, but no. And it all started to crumble. Um, and what is, it's, it's, I have to say, man, I don't know. I don't, I, it's, it's hard to describe the, this moment for me because I was like, oh my God. I remember sitting in therapy in tears. Like, I, I didn't know. Like, I did not know. Like, there was a breakthrough moment. And even then, was after weeks of resisting it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, no, that's not me. I, 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 when I first went into therapy, because it was an overnight thing. I remember we, we I, I literally kept my bags packed because I was like, hell no, I'm leaving tomorrow. You know, like, this is not me. It's not right. But they kept what I, what I would call reading my mail. And it kept, they kept saying, you know, your dad was alcoholic, right? I was like, yeah, I didn't tell you that, but yeah. Your mom was very religious. We can tell. And I was like, how did you know that? I didn't tell you that. <laughs> and all these things and all this stuff just started to roll out. And I was like, and none of, and this is another thing, all the facts that I already had couldn't stand. They just could not stand. It was, and I, listen, and this is where I, I am always now. I will never make this mistake again. I will never make the mistake of being a know-it-all. Um, and this is one reason why I, when I wrote the book, I never wanted it to be like a five steps to this or five steps to that. I didn't want the answers. In fact, I don't have the answers. Mm -hmm. 
I just knew I needed to start asking the right questions. Let me tell you, one of the questions was when I was, when I was the old me was like, why doesn't my wife believe me? But once I went to therapy, the question became, why am I lying? Wow. Let me tell you, the context was the same. But the, the whole thing, I was like, I'm lying. And I know I'm lying. But I, but I had rationalized that, I, no, this is not really lying. It's telling the story the way I wanted to be told. You're, you're gaslighting yourself. Oh, my God. Which leads I you to gaslight everybody myself. else to go along with the story that you've created to, that makes everything okay. I totally feel you, man. This, this is, right. I, I had the same thing. Like When I first started going to therapy, I was like, I want to talk about how I'm feeling burnt out and all this anxiety and stuff. And within a, within like the first two sessions, she was like, tell me a little bit more about what's going on with your dad there. And I was like, what? I didn't come here to talk about my dad. And she's like, yeah, you did. You did come here. (laughs) (laughs) Reading your mail right away. (laughs) Well, see, there was another, I think I forget David Burns is a book called feeling good. Um, And I read this book and it talked about literally not listening to what people say, mm-hmm. but listening to what they're what the, what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you listen to what they say, it's, it's a sidetrack. You know what I mean? But how they feel is what they really want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was that guy, man. I, I remember because I felt a lot of guilt over my addiction. I mean, again, I was hiding it and the whole thing. So I would start arguments with my wife so that we could not get into these conversations, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, But back in the day, I was just thinking she's, you know, she's starting an argument with me. But the thing is, I was starting it with her so that we would never have to get deep into a conversation about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. once I started, and I'm telling you this, I literally had to start writing this stuff down because I couldn't trust myself anymore. You know, it was... because I had been so disillusioned that I was like, this is really what I'm feeling, you know, because you could trick yourself, man. And you you're can. the easiest person to fool. That, that's, that's, that's the old Richard Feynman quote. Like, be careful. You're the easiest person to fool. Like, and, mm-hmm. and, and then once you fool yourself really good, you, you start to think, well, everybody, I've got a really good story here. I, I, I think I get I need to get everybody in, uh, on board with the story that I've got. And, I know people that live their whole, they have lived their whole lives without ever coming to terms with that. You Listen, that would have been me. You, that would have been was me. It, uh, you talk about this in the book. Was the moment uh, when in 2004 when, uh, uh, you know, there, I could, I know that I could, re, I could tell people the story of what you did in 2004. Uh, I'm going to let you tell the story, but the, the, of, you know, picking a guy up and throwing him for uh, touching your wife. Um, I can tell people that story in my family right now. And they'd be like, that's cool. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, I would be admired. Oh, first of all, the story was, you know, I, I'd already done a few movies. We were on our way to the Longest Yard rap party. And uh, it was right here in L.A. And, and we were waiting for our car. And these guys, they were drunk and whatever. They recognized me and they were like, hey, man, can we get an autograph? What's up? What's up? And I'm going, yo, uh oh. And, and I could feel the energy. I was like, uh oh, this is weird. But my wife was pregnant with my son at the time, and I was like, hey man, you know, you know, I, I, I'll give you an autograph, but if you got, if, if you have a pen, and this guy smacks my wife on her shoulder, pop, 
Hey, you ain't got no pen and shit? Dude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wait, first of all, she was pregnant. Mm. Secondly, this this thing of him just smacking her and she kind of does this whoop. I love like when I say blacked out, it was crowded Christmas time. Down downtown, if people were everywhere. I picked this guy up, put him on his head, and I'm stomping this dude. My wife is like, stop, stop. People are screaming, people are running. The police come because it, it took that long. I mean, the police by the by the time the police came around, I was still on this guy, right? And they got their hands on their guns. They're about to pull the whole thing out. This old white man comes out of the crowd. Oh, no, no, wait, 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 officer. No, no, no. I seen the whole thing. They were there. They were just drinking for their car and, you know, they were bothering them. And so thank God he was there because they believed him. They wouldn't have, they, they would not have believed me or my wife at the time. But I look and my wife was like, Terry, you have to promise me. Like, cause we're going to lose everything we have. She said, I'm all right. I'm fine. Like that, it was it was uncomfortable, but what you did didn't was did not. It was way more than what that deserved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what I mean, mm-hmm. you could have just told him, "Hey, man, get back up, we're leaving." But you put him on it. You almost killed this man. And she's like, "We're gonna at worst." I'm sure at, at first of all, at best, we'll get sued. But at worst, you're gonna probably get killed. Because what if you come up on the wrong guy? What if the guy pulls out a gun and kills you? What if the police kill you? Mm-hmm. Like, dude, you're not going to get any reprieve here. You know what I mean? You're big. You're black. No one's going to take a chance at a fist fight with you. And she said, you're going to die. And I need you here. I got my little boy. This, this little boy in here. She told me she's pre- She's like, this little boy needs a father. And I don't see it happening. Mm. Oh my God, David! Mm. It was, it was, it was like, what's wrong with me? Because you gotta understand, I literally regretted it the minute it was over. That rage, David, mm. is something that I had catered like it was part of my manhood, and it was something that was expected, and it was the revenge movie, and it was the Clint Eastwood, the the payback, the James Brown version, you know, you can hear the music and it's like, man, I'm getting everything back. Don't you ever dog me. But this is the thing, man. Uh, true success is about walking away. Look, I have, I have your, I have your words right here. Uh, it wasn't just that my rage might have ruined my whole life that night. It had been ruining my life for years, which is what sets up the book. And you weren't just promising to walk away from that fight. You're promising to walk away from the man you had become. And you saw yourself as strong and powerful. But in fact, in that moment, that was weak and powerless. It was because it was driven by shame, insecurity, and fear. And you, you, you tell your whole life story about where these things come from. You talk about your dad, like the, the alcoholism, the uh, abusing your mom, getting ripped and in the football being punished and taking it. And it's the thrill of the game is I can take that. And, and, and noticing that the other men around you, they're there for similar reasons. And, and, 
in your neighborhood, all the weird things that are going on, you keep using the phrase, they're boys pretending to be men. Uh, the, the scene where you're in the barber shop and you're listening to all these men tell these stories about, yeah, that's what I told this guy or, or, or that's what I told her. And you're listening to it. You're like, this, what are these, these are people pretending that they've, they're up to something here. Right. The fact that you kept seeing this each stage of your, as your success arc grows, like I'm in a new space, I'm in a different group of men and they're doing the same damn thing. I'm in another group of men, they're doing this thing and everybody's letting us get away with it. And it, 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 I, the fact that you at some point go, you know what I'm injecting from this is, in, is astonishing to me. I, first of all, it's astonishing to me too. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I look and I, it's almost like, I don't, I feel like, um, like I left the building and the bomb went off, you know, like I easily, if I'd have stayed just a couple more minutes, I would have been, I would have been dead. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, the, that's the feeling that I have. And I, and I, and I, I feel, I'm filled with such gratitude. I, I'm, I literally get emotional now because I'm just like, dude, I could have been, I, there could have been no way out. Like just, if I would have turned left or right, like, turned left instead of right, I would have been divorced. It'd been a whole nother thing. And there would have been no escaping mm -hmm. that Terry Crews image that, and it probably would have been the end. And this is where you see, and you, and people, you know, tend to, be shocked when celebrities or very famous people implode, you know, publicly, um, because it's, this is the same thing. You know, it's something that, wow, he was just the nicest guy. And what happened? You know, that that would have easily been me, David. Easily. I'm very happy to be sitting here talking to you. And it's not true. And it's not easy. And it's ongoing. Like, it's not like you just... It's like you, you know, it's not like you do it and then they give you a cake and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm fixed. No. <laughs> right. It's, it's, wait, again, that's not the, there's no reward to it. Yeah, yeah. No, you know no, what no, I mean? No, no, no. It's all, it's all for you. It's you for you. I love, I have it highlighted. I already, I've saved it. I'm going to put it somewhere. You have this whole section. I'm not going to give it away because I want people to get this book, but you talk about what it, what it, all this really is. The You talked about it at the beginning of our conversation. Uh, the purpose of being tough is not to attack, but protect. The purpose of being strong is not to dominate, but to support. And this is another thing, because this is why we need other people. Because you can't, you're always going to be easy on yourself. You know what I mean? You're always going to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. But when I started listening to other people and their opinions and their thoughts, and once I started to understand how my wife felt, how my kids felt, how my friends felt, because I, I was controlling everybody. And they were very, very honest with me. And I asked them to be. And it hurt. I took this test about narcissism. And I remember I took the test. And, uh, I, and then I was like, hey, guys, I took this test. It says I'm a narcissist. They were like, no, duh. <laughs> they were like, dude, we were telling you that for years. I was like, oh, my God. Like, you got to understand, I went to square one. And... But let me tell you, man, again, it's like I left the building right after it blew up. I, I, I hear you. I, the idea that narcissism isn't self-love, it's, it's, it's a form of insecurity and self-loathing. And you create this character yep. that you curate, that people adore, or that people respect. 
And then you start spending your entire life curating that character. And if it gets threatened, that's when you get weird. The idea that that's what's really taking place, it, it seems like that would cause your whole uh, concept of yourself to crumble. And if it does, fine. But what really happens is you are suddenly free to actually care about people for the first time, to actually offer something to people. And if you're, you do have strengths or you have privileges, you, do, you, can, you can leverage them to, to pull poison out of the world instead of to just use them on making yourself taller and taller and taller for whatever reason you're doing that. I felt this all throughout the book and I was like, this is great. I'm glad Terry is, <laughs> this is. Oh man, and, I, listen, and, you don't understand. I, I just got to give you the props because man, you writing your books, it, 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 it guided me and it, it helped me to deal with all these cognitive biases I've had all of my life. Because we are, we are. You know, if I if I was raised in Mexico, I'd speak Spanish, probably. You know, and there's so many things that I absorbed that I just took for that's the way things are. And you gotta question everything. You have to. You this is where a kid is two years old and he's like, I don't think I want to go that. You know, <laughs> but I had to do it. I love it. At forty. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter when you do it. I, you just have to fall in love with with being wrong, which is, feels good, and and fall out of love with all of your hypotheses. Like like that's the worst thing you do is the, is is fall in love with your assumptions and then defend those assumptions. It's so it's a prison after time, and you can you you are freed by by going maybe I'm wrong about that. My friend my friend Will Store who writes books about this kind of stuff he had this little test that he and that he asks that I've kept this with me forever. It's uh. Ask yourself, uh, are you right about everything? And most people, unless they've really have gone all the way, will say, oh, no, I can't be right about everything. And then you say, well, then um, what are you wrong about? And that, that is a moment where you go, ooh. Uh, and you, if you can't answer that question, then ask yourself, how would you figure out what you're wrong about? And if you can't ask that question, ask, how come you don't have a way of figuring out what you're wrong about? And then now you're on this really weird thing of, of it should make icy feelings go through your veins that oh okay and it's a moment is it we're not really geared we're not really you know set up to ask that question of ourselves but i remember yeah. him telling me that was a little thought experiment he came up with and i i love it i've carried it with me ever since oh man you 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 gotta send me that <laughs> i'll send you i'll send you the i would uh, love that i would love that. i definitely i'll send that to you for sure thank you Yeah, you talk about that in the book. External success is not the same as internal success. It means nothing. Yeah. It has nothing. To, and But this is the way our culture is built. You were successful at that, so you must be successful at everything. And I was like, oh, my God, that hit me. Because I used to think that. Like, it, you know, I would give everybody the benefit of the doubt, whoever was a star, whoever was a big man or whatever. And then I started getting into Hollywood, and you're like, I wouldn't, I can't even trust these people. Like, I wouldn't even... You know, I would never leave anything I cared about with these people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it started to realize, wow, man, these there's two different things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You can be very, very successful. That's like Hollywood. Like there are people who were they make movies about romance and all this stuff, but then these guys are like misogynists. You know what I mean? And and totally using women. Um, and and you, but you're writing movies about love. And, and I was that, and I, just to say, and I'm not pointing fingers because I was that. It was, to me, the image, like you said, 
It was the image that was the most important thing. I had curated this guy and everybody loved him. And even my wife was married to him. And then she found out who I really was. What was what was that moment? Because that's a that is a that's a that's that's a hell of a thing to say. My wife married the this character I created. And then and then she and then at some point in my life, I I broke that down, I put it aside, I threw it in the ocean, I watched it fall to the bottom, and then now there's a this the real me is in front of this person. What was that like? Oh man, we call it D-Day. We call it D-Day at our house. And I'll never forget because she always was suspecting things, you mm. know. And, and this is the thing, you know, the pornography addiction had led to me actually cheating on her at a massage parlor in Vancouver. And I detail it in the book, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And and I promised I would never tell. Like that was going, something I was going to go to my grave with. I just knew, I said, that's never, that's going to be a secret I die with. And it's no longer exists in my mind. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is one lie turns into 10, that turns into 100, and you just have to tell more lies to keep covering. And so she was just more suspicious all the time. And so, I'm sorry, we got a, little, we got a new little puppy. This is no problem, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she just got real suspicious. And finally, dude, this was 10 years after, 10 years of lies, mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. of all this. And there I was, I was in New York, she was in LA. And this is, this is the question that got me. She said, what is it I don't know about you, Terry Crews? And I mean, wait, we have been on this phone for like two hours and I'm like, she won't stop. And I told her. And this gasp, an audible gasp, hit up the phone. That's it. And wait, it was like, she went, that's Terry, I'm out. I don't, I don't know you. I always suspect, I didn't know, that's it. You are not who you say you are. Wait a minute, I, I was honest to you. I was honest. So, you know, now you got to get, see, again, looking for my reward. Mm-hmm. Here's my reward. Mm-hmm. I, I gave you an honest answer, finally. But now you give me my reward. So now you stay and you we work it out. She's like, no. No, I'm gone, and and it's over. And I was like, "What do you mean?" What? And then this day, what was so crazy? She hangs up. She's like, "Don't come home." And I'm like, "Fine." And I'm I hang up, and I'm like, "You know what? I don't even need her. Mm-hmm. I can go find me a woman. I can get women anywhere. I, I'm Terry Crews. Damn it!" And then all of a sudden, I heard myself talking like that. Mm-hmm. Like I heard it. Mm-hmm. Like the real me, he heard the image me talking to myself. Like that's a yo that's fake, fake, fake. That's it. And it said, "Dude, it is you, man. You've been lying to her the whole time. You are a farce. And no matter how good you can spin it, no matter how much CGI you put on it, no matter how much perfume you spray on it." It all sucks and it stinks and it's dirty. And this is another thing. You know what's crazy, David? Somebody told me, and this is a really big time dude. I, I, when I was talking about the book, he said, well, you know, what you did wasn't that, wasn't that bad. And I said, but that's not, my, that's not my call to make. 
Can you imagine if you're, you know, you're like, you tell your wife, you got an agreement with your wife. You got to be honest, like all the time. You know what I mean? Like, that's not my call that what I did wasn't that bad because I can't say, but see, that's more control. That's more, you know, well, because it doesn't hurt me and I'm not, I'm not that affected. You shouldn't be. Well, but people, first of all, everybody has a different line. But you got to let her know what's up. Like, the fact is, she never knew any of this. Dude, that was it. That was the D-Day, man. And let me tell you, she saw me. It took years. Years. But I mean, And I mean, tears, crying, working it out. There were times we, we would break, we'd come back together, break up again, come back, break up. But dude. When she finally saw me, and I, I, I talk about this in the book, but we were on vacation and my son had spilled water all over the table. And I, I said, hey man, that's okay. You know, people make mistakes, no big deal. And everybody at the table was looking at me like, what is happening? Like, and I was like, what are you talking about? Man, and she looked at me, she said, man, you're different. You're different. That's, that's a different you. You never would have done anything like that. Because I would I would have been like, what are you doing? You know, I spent all this money and, man, I take you guys out. You can't sit still. And, blah, blah, blah. and I would have been yelling. And she was like, you just mopped up the water. Told it was okay. That's different, man. You're a different person. Glad I stayed. Dude, man, it's one of the best feelings in the world. One of the best, because it worked. It worked. Like all the work, all the therapy, all the stuff, and getting better just for the sake of getting better. Mm And it wasn't to bring her back because she's, that was still her decision to make. Wasn't, wasn't my move, that was her move. But she decided because she saw me doing the work, she was willing. And now when I look, I was going on 33 years of marriage right now. Mm. And I just say, it's better than ever. There's no, no mystery between us, no lies, all real, all the time. It's so, it's like a new way to be, man. And yeah. there's something about being one person, you know, because there was two people before, right? you know, and it was like that image. Now it's ripped down. Yeah. And this is one reason why even in the book, I wanted to be so transparent to kill that image because it could sneak back up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I created a book where it just wasn't that bad and I was, you know, I'm still a good guy. Mm-hmm. Any bit of that is like keeping bricks in so you can just rebuild the walls. Mm-hmm. I decided, man, let's just kill this. Like people in public, I go to the grocery store, people know way more about me than I will ever know about, <laughs> about, about them. But that's fine with me. Yeah. Because that image doesn't exist anymore. Wow. The image is gone. The real Terry Crews is, is sitting right here talking to you. And I love it, man. I'll I never, love it I'll, too, man. This is this is 
that's the good that's the good word that's the good news like and you this book is so transparent so vulnerable and this message that you're communicating with me right now comes through over and over again and I, you have an Im- yeah you, your image that you, you even did something on and I'm I'm I apologize for speaking for you in this way but I okay. it's like you're you did create this you have this image in, in the public consciousness that you were talking about that you 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 did away with for yourself but you didn't you use that power to give people the chance to erase that image along with you in the book and show them that hey. I'm better off without the thing that you probably are thinking about the thing that you probably have seen in all these movies, this, this I'm showing you why I'm better off for not having that. And then we get to meet each other for the first time. Like I'm going to get, you know, we get to, you get to, we actually get to meet each other now. Right. Dude, like it's like really, really welcome. You know, the, the, one thing that people magazine always has is like stars. They're just like us. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> And I'm like, no, I really am. I really, <laughs> no. Like, in fact, I'm, I'm, you know, I probably have done worse than you is the issue. Yeah. And man, and if I know that I can change, then I know anyone can change. You can find Terry Crews just sort of by looking around. He's everywhere these days. But if you want to follow him on Twitter, he is at Terry Crews. That's T-E-R-R-Y-C-R-E-W-S, at Terry Crews. His new book is Tough, and that is it for this episode of the You're Not So Smart podcast. My new book, How Minds Change, comes out June 21st, 2022. Link in the show notes for pre-ordering it. And seriously, thank you all so very much for all the support over the years putting that book together. I don't know if I could have done it without your support and help. So I really, really thank you. It's incredible that it's about to be out in one week. If you'd like to learn more about everything we talked about in this episode, go to youarenotsosmart.com. For all the past episodes, you can go to Stitcher and SoundCloud and iTunes and Omni and Spotify and Amazon and Audible and pretty much everywhere podcasts are at. You can also just go to youarenotsosmart.com to find links to all those places. Follow me on Twitter at David McRaney. Follow the show at NotSmartBlog. We're also on Facebook slash YouAreNotSoSmart. And if you'd like to support this entire operation, help make it better, help pay for transcription and other features, go to patreon.com slash YouAreNotSoSmart, where I will be putting lots of extra material from How Minds Change up in posts over the next few months. And um, if you pitch in at any amount, you get the show ad-free. But at the higher amounts, you get posters and T-shirts and signed books and other things like that. The opening music is Clash by Caravan Palace. You can tell everyone you know about the show. That is a great way to support it. Just tell people about the episodes that meant something to you. And check back about two weeks for a fresh new episode.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.